You're listening to the Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast with your host, Clément Thibault. Hello, everyone. Have a great Sunday and welcome to Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast for this week of October 28th. So I'm going to start uh, like I did in the past few weeks by saying who this podcast is for. So this podcast is, is for you if you're interested in the crypto markets, but don't necessarily want you know, to, to keep track of it on a daily basis. And you're interested in a 15, 20, 25, sometimes 30 minute show that goes over the major news of the week and, and tries to identify the, the big catalysts of the market for this week and, and what will happen in the future. Give some opinion, go over some news. And that's basically what we do here. So if that's something that you're interested in, well, you belong with us and we're happy to have you. So uh, let's get on it with the news of today's week. So this week, we're going to talk about Bitcoin futures. There's a new product by BACK that is going to be launched in December. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about crypto IPOs. Uh, there's a, re a new report on the Bitmain IPO, which I said I would update about, so I will. And the possibility of an IPO by Bitfury, which is a crypto mining equipment manufacturer. We're going to talk about crypto journalism. There's been a report by Breaker Mag regarding uh, some ethical problems in the crypto industry, which we're going to talk about. And I'm going to speak a little bit about my experience in Korea. I was in Korea the past week and, uh, and it was a great market. I met so many wonderful people and I think this is a good opportunity to discuss it. All right, so let's get into it and we'll start with the Bitcoin futures. So a venture named Bact is generating a lot of buzz in the industry. So I thought that it would be worthy to cover in the podcast this week. So what is BACT? BACT is a venture by the Intercontinental Exchange, uh, the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange. So we're talking really, really big guys here. And I think they're the second largest operator of exchanges around the world. So these are definitely finance professionals, not in the crypto way, but more of in the traditional way. So they know what they do and they're launching a new platform uh, aimed at institutional investors uh, that will include custodian, custodian services and futures. So according to some reports that we've had this week, uh, they're expecting to launch the new futures on December 12th. Uh, they still need a regulatory approval, which they don't have, and that's the reason why it got postponed to December. It was originally meant to be launched in November. and But that same approval that they're looking for is supposed to come and is rumored you know, according to a source to come next week. So if it comes next week, you know, they'll have a month of regulatory approval and they can launch on December 12 and it's all great. Now, futures are not a new thing. Futures have been launched actually in December of last year by the CME and CBOE, which like the Intercontinental Exchange are not, not small players and some of the biggest futures players that we have today in the world. And a lot of people saw it as, you know, the start of institutional money. And people really thought that, you know, this is what this was this was going to be it. And this was going to be when, you know, institution get into the market and that we're, we're going to see a lot of money flow into the market. But that hasn't really panned out over the past of the year. According to a report by Bloomberg, there were only 9000 contracts daily between CBOE and CME trading, you know, Bitcoin and that's not a lot in comparison, you know, if we want just to 
you know give little uh, little numbers to understand the context. So crude oil on CME routinely goes over a million contracts a day. So you know ten thousand, not even ten thousand and a million. It's 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 still not there, and it's not even close to what people have hoped that it would bring. And the special thing about back this time is that it calls for physical delivery and not it's not cash settled. So CME, CBOE, if you choose, you know, to actually receive the goods on the futures, you can get it. You will get money. You won't get Bitcoin. What BACT is trying to do is actually to get you to get Bitcoin back. If you are if you at the end of the futures contract, if you want to get physical delivery of a Bitcoin, you can. Now, again, this generates a lot of buzz in, in the crypto community and a lot of people are excited about it. But, you know, like a lot of things, I think that crypto crypto people get excited way too easily and they're maybe trying to find, you know, the good everything and see the bullish case. Now, I, I definitely think that this is another step and another important step in, in, you know, getting crypto wildly adopted, especially by Wall Street. But this is not the be all end all of, you know, successes. And I don't think that it'll cause crypto to moon at all. I think that. We've seen that the futures of, you know, we, we already have a year with futures. So we already have some kind of experience regarding how, you know, people approach futures and if there is market interest in them. And so far, the market interest has been very low. So while, you know, more initiatives and more infrastructure is always good and, you know, maybe one day it will pick up. And if Bitcoin goes through another, you know, bull cycle like we've seen, then the market will be a lot more able to handle it and there'll be a lot more solutions for people to trade. But, you know, on a routine basis and, and especially in the bear market, I think that, you know, the excitement is, is premature and I don't see it impacting the crypto market on the short term, at least until, you know, prices have not recovered and we don't see another bull market. So, you know, that's, that's big news for a lot of people. And, and I think it was definitely uh, something that we want to mention because futures and, and new in, you know, financial instruments and people are so much so waiting for the institutional money that I definitely think that it's important. Uh, but the, the impact, in my opinion, is not going to be there. But we're definitely going to see. So December 12th, if there's any new updates, I will, of course, update. And that's it for Backed for this week. Our next topic is is crypto IPOs. So in the first episode of the Cryptoc podcast, we talked about how Bitmain was about to IPO and how they filed for an IPO in Hong Kong. And, and you know, it was very interesting to get a glimpse into their financial situation, their position of, of Bitcoin Cash. But this report by Coindesk is not necessarily regarding the IPO, but because Bitmain is on its way to an IPO, it's still interesting. So it alleges that Bitmain misled investors in a pre-IPO funding round. So what that means is that when they were looking for money in a previous round, when they were still, you know, as they were a private company, they were raising money in a private way, they sent out pitch decks and they were implying that a couple of companies had invested in an earlier round while they haven't. So we're talking about digital, digital sky technologies global and GIC Private Limited. So Bitmain apparently claimed that those two companies had invested in it, but uh, it turns out not to be the case. And of course, you know, 
when people invest privately, a lot of times they like to look at who invested in prior rounds. And while they do their due diligence, you know, you have a few big firms that a few a few big VCs that you know to have a very strict policy. So if they invested in it, you can count on, you can kind of count on it that they did their homework and that they believed in the product. Of course, there's a lot of due diligence to do and and you know if you if someone invested in Bitmain because those two companies invested, you know, he's probably a bad venture capitalist because this is not how things are supposed to work. But still, you know, your Bitmain you know, they, they can't misrepresent who invested in them. And of course, you know, because it creates trust out of nowhere. Again, like I said, a lot of people trust those companies to know what they're doing. So misrepresenting it is definitely a serious offense on the part of Bitmain. And it'll, you know, I don't exactly know how this will affect their IPO. But if that's the case, first of all, you could see regulators coming down. And, and you can see a lot of things like that that could kind of muddy the IPO and maybe even cause to postpone it until all these matters are resolved. So that's regarding the Bitmain and now regarding Bitfury. So Bitfury is a crypto mining ex equipment manufacturer. And apparently, according to uh, a couple of reports, it, ex it, it explores maybe doing an initial public offering, an IPO. So apparently they reached out to a few investment banks to explore going public uh, among those banks, banks in Amsterdam, London or Hong Kong, uh, which are, you know, London and Hong Kong, two very big exchanges. Uh, they could still decide to do something else and not necessarily do IPO, but it looks like, you know, they're looking to, to raise a little money and definitely considering going the IPO way. Now, they, according to a report, if they do go public in the next couple of years, they will seek a valuation of between three to five billion, which which is is relatively big. But you know, compared to the crypto markets, it's not that big. I think they had revenues of four hundred and fifty million last year, so that that we're still looking at a pretty high valuation, but nothing crypto like. So I will update if and you know they decide to to file for an IPO. Of course, the minute we'll see financials, it's definitely going to be something that's going to be get wildly covered in the media and on this podcast for sure. Uh, but yeah, crypto IPOs is, is very interesting because it's, you know, it's marrying the crypto world and the traditional finance world. And, and it gets us an opportunity to look at the inside of private companies, which, you know, it's not getting your getting public, getting private numbers is not an easy thing. So when you get the chance to analyze and you kind of get the chance to, to see the state of the industry and how it operates from within and the success it has from within, it's always very interesting. So we're definitely going to be covering that going forward. This is, of course, the, the time to add that, you know, a crypto IPO and, and the performance of a cryptocurrency company is obviously going to be very correlated to you know the the success that crypto has and possibly the price of bitcoin and other coins and we know that bitmain holds a lot of cryptocurrency so even though it's gonna maybe you know there's maybe gonna be a few crypto companies trading uh, i expect them to be still be very volatile compared to other industry other industries and other markets that are a lot less dependent on the underlying asset so you know, we see miners and we see we see gold miners and we see oil companies and they definitely are affected by the price of the underlying asset. 
And I think that crypto is not not only not going to be different, but it's going to be maybe a lot more impactful on the way they do business and their business numbers. So I don't think that it'll be, you know, even though it's stocks and it's going to be less risky than crypto for sure, I still think it's going to be on the very edge of the risk regarding stocks. So that's something that you definitely want to keep in mind if you intend on investing in one of those IPOs. So now that we have crypto IPOs covered, let's move to our third subject, crypto journalism. All right, so crypto journalism, this unfortunately is, is a very sad story that we're going to be covering today. But, you know, it's you, you need to know that. So, you know, if there's something that you need to know, we're still going to cover it. And so Breaker Mag came out with a report this week that they made a, a fake account of a PR firm and they try to publish a press release and they try to initiate coverage for, you know, certain clients but without the sponsored content tag. So sponsored content tags, first of all, in the media industry, in the publisher industry, has become a way, another revenue stream that you can publish content, but market as sponsored. So it's kind of an ad. It's like, you know, the, the New York Times or even at investing.com, we cover project and we get paid for it and we market with a sponsored content tag so that the reader actually knows and can dif differentiate Ben what is actual news and what we think is newsworthy and you know what we are actually getting paid to do you know and that that's the ethical thing to do so you know as far as I'm concerned sponsored content is is a legitimate you know way of doing business publishers in this day and age have dwindling sources of revenue and that's definitely something that they can do to you know make a little money because at the end of the day it's still a business and as much as people want to report on the news and as much as people want to help other people understand the market they still have a need you know to, to bring food to their families at the end of the day so sponsored content as long as marked is not a problem so according to the breaker mag you know investigative journalism from 22 outlets that they approached 12 agreed to to publish paid content without marking it as paid content and this is where the problem begins when those news outlets were willing to to publish something to their readers as if it was legitimate news and not and that they weren't paid for it now i think that you know the, the crypto markets in general we see it you know it's kind of a money rules all kind of market and people are willing you know, we've seen the amount of scams and, and, you know, it's not even just in the crypto space. I think that generally in life, people are willing to go pretty far to, to make a buck. And this is this is no different. And it you know, it's it's sad to see the state of the industry. But I think that it fits crypto really well. And unfortunately, but this is you know, this is a space where we've seen a lot of scams, a lot of pump and dumps and. And, you know, it's just it's not that surprising. I, I would like to say that, you know, I'm surprised and that I never saw it coming. But that's just not the truth. And and I think that, you know, it, it shows the state of the of an industry that still really has to mature. And I think that there are a lot there's there's a few good journalistic projects on the way that I hope will succeed and that I really, really hope, you know, that will set a new standard for the industry. But, you know, definitely at the end of the day, 
especially in, in this industry, which is quite, you know, still the wild, wild west. Money is king and, and money book can buy you everything. So this is kind of a, you know, a note, a, a note of caution. If you are reading on a lot of new sites, I recommend that you look for that story on Breaker Mag. That's where it was published. So I recommend that you go and you read it yourself. And, you know, don't don't believe anything you see. And even if it's not marked with the sponsored content, a good rule of thumb when you read anything online is to always ask yourself, you know, who's who's behind it and why and why are they recovering and, and who 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 it benefits, you know, and this way you can kind of analyze the incentives behind the news and, and you can get a better critical, you know, you can you can do better critical thinking and not necessarily fall for any unmarked sponsored content or anything else all right now let's move to some better news in order not to end the podcast on such a grim topic all right fourth and last topic of the week uh, i just want to tell you about about my experience in korea this week so i flew last saturday to the korea blockchain expo in seoul and my experience uh, honestly was amazing. So I thought that the city was absolutely incredible. And unfortunately, I had the time, you know, I had a few, I took some time in the morning to go and explore the city to see, a, you know, a palace or two to, to see a temple. And and I had such a great time. And, and I must say that, you know, the, the people I met either on the street or at the conference were some of the nicest and most polite people I have ever met. So in this regard, it was a complete success. So the talk was the panel I took part in was about the real life applications of cryptocurrency. And, you know, we spoke about potential uses, about the problems for adoption. I hope to have a few videos up on, on my Twitter account uh, by, you know, in, in a few days. Um, the, th the, the thing with Korea is that there's a very high penetration of crypto in the market. And, and, you know, and the Korean market is very ahead of the curve as far as technology goes a lot of times. And it's not very different for crypto. Uh, over the couple of days of the conference, I saw a lot of excitement over a lot of projects, uh, which, you know, I won't necessarily comment on because I don't know if they're going to be good projects or not. But you know, the, 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 the energy at the conference was very, very good. And I think that's important because I took part in a few conferences that were a lot sleepier and where, you know, people kind of were there but didn't necessarily want to be there. But I really felt that a lot of people wanted to be at that conference. Uh, I saw also a lot of excitement uh, regarding Investing.com and our prospects in Korea. So Investing.com has now a pretty strong presence in Korea. Uh, we're talking, I think, 4 million page views to our Korean edition. Uh, we have an office in Korea but that is staffed by two wonderful gentlemen, and hopefully they'll continue to grow. And, you know, we hope to become a great source of information in Korea. I think that, you know, it has a lot of potential benefits. And, you know, if you ever want to go to, to Seoul and to see the city, then I definitely recommend spending, you know, a week there. I think it's worth it. I think there's great people. If you want to do, you know, business in Korea as well, I think that, you know, a, a physical presence, you know, is very required because to have a translator for me, you know, I took, I, I did a few interviews 
one with a translator that was very helpful that I could not have done otherwise, and a video interview with Token Post, which is one of the leading cryptocurrency uh, media in Korea. So hopefully we'll also be able, I'll also be able to bring that to you uh, on Twitter next week. But just really wanted to talk a little bit about the, the experience in Korea that I've had and to do them, you know, a little public relations because I really had a, a great time with wonderful people. And, you know, and again, I didn't want to end the podcast on the crypto journalism, which was very, very sad and, and maddening in a way. So a little more good news. Korea is a great country. And if you can, you should go there. So that's about it for, for this week in crypto. Uh, I think it was a pretty okay week as far as, as far as news go. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't some enormous news like maybe we've seen in earlier, you know, in earlier weeks. But yeah, that's, that's the nature of the beast. Some weeks are stronger, some, we, some weeks are weaker. And I look forward to see what this week uh, brings us. It's the 10th anniversary of the Bitcoin white paper. So I won't talk about it today, but you can bet that I'll be talking about it next week. All right, so that's it. Have a great week, everyone. And I'll see you here next Sunday for another episode of Crypt Talk by Investing.com. Thank you.